Advent is, I think, perhaps the strangest season in the church calendar. When by the time we get to the Advent every year, the aisles at Target and Walmart have already been decked out, like since before Halloween, I feel like is when it starts now. Um, those of us who are on the more organized side of the spectrum have maybe already begun our Christmas shopping. The festive tree is already twinkling downtown. And there are few things in life, I think, that are more joy-filled than watching the excitement of a very young child as they peel open their Advent calendar each morning. Advent is, at its most basic, the season of preparation for Christmas. In some churches, worship leaders are very strict about not letting any Christmas sneak in during Advent. They would be horrified by our pre-Christmas pageant. Don't tell them, okay? It's okay. We're safe here. Traditionally, Advent is a somber, serious kind of waiting. It is a quiet time, a still time. And if we were following the revised common lectionary, which we aren't this year, the texts in the lectionary are actually full of a lot of gloom and doom. There's a lot of apocalypse, actually, during Advent. Which is to say, it's a pretty weird season. No wonder it's one of the seasons that the church has mostly kept to itself. You don't see a lot of people outside of the church, like sending Advent cards or cooking up festive Advent dishes. I mean, I suppose the Advent calendars are the exception, but that's just the power of chocolate, right? Like everybody wants to get in on that, even if they don't know what it's about. Unlike Lent, we're not necessarily called during Advent to a time of fasting or necessarily even leaning into our spiritual practices. Instead, we're told that the season of Advent is just about waiting. That's pretty much it, just waiting. Now, waiting, of course, can happen in all kinds of ways. There's that impatient waiting that we do when we are at a bus stop or a traffic light. There is the expectant waiting of parents-to-be as they're waiting for their new child, or long-time parents who are waiting for their child to come home from school at a break. There is the very prescribed waiting that most of us, I trust, know of precisely 15 minutes for your rapid COVID test to timer to go off to find out if you have COVID. There's that giddy waiting that many of us feel on Christmas Eve with our ears perked up to see if we can hear the reindeer hooves on the roof. Waiting, of course, can also carry with it a sense of dread when we know that something very challenging or terribly unpleasant is on the horizon. And of course, there's that urgent sense of waiting, like when you're willing the ambulance to come as fast as it can or when you're hoping and praying that payday will arrive before the pantry is bare. This Advent, we are traveling alongside our companions at a sanctified art as we explore the theme that they have created for us. The theme this year is, How Does a Weary World Rejoice? Who would like to win the prize and earn a round of applause this morning by naming the hymn that that line comes from? Sing it in your head. I'm going to check the chat. 
Mm -hmm, something about a weary world rejoicing. I'm looking at the chat to see if anybody on Zoom knows it. Oh, holy night. That's it. You win a round of applause. Everybody applaud, Linda. Did you have to go through the whole song to get to it? It's so familiar, right? But then you're like, which one is it? Yes, it is from Oh, Holy Night. That's a tune that was written in the 19th century. The full line that it comes from is, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And so we see as we begin this Advent season that these three are tied together intimately. Hope, weariness, and joy. Today's passage from the first chapter of Luke holds all three of these things together in tension. In her book, The First Advent in Palestine, author Kelly Nikondeha paints a picture of Zechariah, the priest that Judy read about. Zechariah lived in a land that had always existed at the crossroads of many cultures and as such had almost always been at war. In the time of Zechariah though, there was strangely peace. But this particular peace, this Pax Romana as it's called, the peace of Rome, was a very strange kind of peace. It was a silence-filled, surface-level kind of peace that only existed because the Roman Empire ruled vast swaths of land with an iron fist. Zechariah, from his vantage point as a priest, got to see what was beneath the veneer of that Roman peace. Zechariah was able to see the inequality, the desperation, the fear that lurked just below that shiny surface. Zechariah was able to see that most people who were outside of the capital city and who were outside of what we would call the 1% didn't really feel much peace at all. And it was his place as a priest to straddle these contradictory worlds. Every year he would travel from his home among the average people who struggled. He would travel to the capital where he would rub shoulders with the elite. And so Nikondeha explains to us, in his priestly role, Zechariah served his village most days by teaching the law, the prophets, and the other sacred writings. Zechariah offered counsel and comfort. But from week to week, he also needed to find other work to supplement the small stipend that he received from the temple. And so he likely farmed, planting, pruning, harvesting, and even laboring at the threshing floor and oil press in hard years. His aging body probably struggled to work to earn enough. A son's help would have been such a blessing in this unforgiving landscape. From Zechariah's vantage point, a chasm existed between the people in his village and the temple elites. And every time he traveled to Jerusalem for his annual week of service, he witnessed the disparity the ornate clothes, the well-appointed homes that were inside the city walls, and the easy access to power. And so, Advent begins with this paradox and this complexity in the background. And Advent begins with this story of waiting. Zechariah waited a long time in silence, we're told, for his son to be born. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also waiting and she waited with another woman who was pregnant, her cousin, Mary. 
And so in this story, we see these three strands of our Advent brave that braid that are woven together. We find hope, weariness, and joy. And all of those things can be present in our waiting. Sometimes they can even be present at the exact same time. Lyle Gwynne Garrity, who's one of the co-founders of A Sanctified Art, has this to say about the ways that these emotions can co-mingle. She says, I distinctly remember the first time I laughed after my grandmother died. I was standing in my kitchen when Joy interrupted my mourning like a loud dinner guest, and almost immediately I felt ashamed. This is no time for Joy, I thought. As I processed my emotional dissonance, I wondered why I felt so uncomfortable with Joy's intrusion. When did I decide that Joy didn't belong with grief? Who told me that joy is selfish? Wouldn't my grandmother love to hear the sound of my laughter? I've decided that joy is a companion emotion. Almost always, joy comes alongside other feelings, excitement, sadness, exhaustion, relief, apprehension. Joy is also a transformative emotion. It changes you. It can shift your perspective. It can bring warmth to those around you. It will certainly lighten your load. And so this Advent season, if you ever find yourself thinking, there is no time for joy, then I hope you'll reconsider. I hope that you will allow joy to be your surprise guest. Garrity says, joy is a companion emotion. Almost always it comes along other feelings. Isn't that a beautiful observation? I had never thought about it that way before. And so I wonder, this Advent season, what it might look like for us to practice noticing where joy and other emotions co-mingle, where joy shows up like a surprise guest. Of course, sometimes joy can feel downright impossible to find, and that is also okay. The Reverend Anna Strickland, who's also a part of the Sanctified Art team, shares this intimate look at how difficult it can be to find joy during some seasons of our lives. She says, my first pregnancy was due just days before Christmas. And so I imagined giving birth amidst the singing of joy to the world. But nine weeks into the pregnancy, the Wednesday after Mother's Day, I had a miscarriage. And I spent the long Texas summer mourning the loss. By the time December finally came, I was four months pregnant with a daughter who would be born on Easter. As I prepared the nursery that winter, my joy was interrupted by a wave of grief for the child that I had never met, the child who would have been arriving in days, not months. In the midst of what everyone saw as a joyous season, for me there was this hidden pain that I felt I needed to tuck away. My grief felt so unearned but so did my joy. So if you are weary this season, if you feel like joy is out of reach, undeserved or fleeting, if your pain is tucked away in the closet with the Christmas presents, I hope you'll find comfort sitting with Mary and Zechariah and the shepherds as angels bring their greetings. Do not fear. Friends, amidst the deep pain in our lives, sometimes Joy can just feel like it's a bridge too far. And I wonder, 
if that feels like it is the case for you this year, what would it look like for you to earnestly seek comfort during this Advent? And how can we, as your community of faith, support you in that seeking? The story of this Advent question, How Does a Weary World Rejoice?, has its origin in a pandemic poem. The Reverend Sarah R. Speed, who is another one of the founders of A Sanctified Art, tells this story about how this theme came to be. She says, on December 24th, 2021, Omicron was wreaking havoc on New York City, where she lives. The lines for COVID tests were wrapping around city blocks. Officials were urging everyone to double mask. Hospitals were overflowing. And every hour, it seems, I received text messages from people saying, I tested positive and I needed someone to know. As the heart of Midtown, I was washed with fear, anxiety, and grief when I realized that my church would be one of the few Presbyterian churches offering in-person worship that Christmas Eve. Would I be safe? Would people come? Would it even feel like Christmas? Once again, COVID was stealing our rituals. Once again, my city was sick, and once again, joy felt out of reach. And so I sat down at my computer, and I wrote a poem called How Does a Weary World Rejoice? It was my effort to sift through the pain of that day, to still my scattered mind, and to put some words on paper that might serve as breadcrumbs on the way to joy. Two years later, and I am still asking myself that same question, fortunately I have found that our sacred texts provide some answers. How does a weary world rejoice? Day by day and with God's help. And so friends, as we begin our season of Advent waiting, and as we seek to braid together hope and weariness and joy, let us begin this strange season by receiving the gift of that poem that Reverend Speed wrote on that COVID-filled Christmas Eve. This is How Does a Weary World Rejoice? How Does a Weary World Rejoice? I think delayed Christmas cards count, the ones with the haphazard stamps that are mailed three weeks late. I think the way you get down on all fours to be close to your dog and your cousin's baby counts. These are holy routines. I think the way you stretch your body awake and breathe deeply when you rise counts. That's Yahweh in your lungs. I think the extra second you spend looking at the sky last night and not being afraid to dance counts. So does giving up your seat on the subway for someone's grandfather, helping her carry the stroller up the stairs and running to catch the man who dropped his bag in the crosswalk. Lighting candles when the sun disappears, laughing so hard that others begin to stare, and pausing to look at trees every once in a while to say, Good job with that one, God. It all definitely counts. As do mumbled prayers and children's prayers and every measure of music. How does a weary world rejoice? I would guess soul by soul and day by day. But if you ask me, I bet 
most all of it counts. May it be so. Amen.